0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, December the 20th, 2022. It's been quite a year in American politics. I'm just back actually from New York City, where I did a debate for intelligence squared on whether or not January 6th, 2021, the year before 2022, of course, that the the Jan 6th insurrection represented what we talked about as an existential threat to American democracy. I debated Rebecca Carruthers, uh, who's been on the show, an expert on American democracy and voting. And one of the things that um, Rebecca and I agreed on in our debate was that the role of religious extremism, religious nationalism in January 6th was something to be concerned with. My guest today on the show is one of the foremost experts on American religious nationalism, on the rise of um, uh, right-wing nationalism, uh, Catherine Stewart, Uh, she's been on the show before and she's the author of The Power Worshippers, Inside the Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism. Uh, and I'm thrilled that Catherine is joining us. Catherine, um, what kind of year has 2022 been for your power worshippers, the religious nationalists on the right side of American politics?
1: It's been a very good year for them in terms of the courts. This is a movement that has invested for decades in infrastructure, much of it focused on uh, overtaking the courts, and they finally have the Supreme Court that they need. So we saw the Supreme Court um, overturn Roe, which is really just the beginning. They're just getting started. They're going to go after a range of individual rights, not just uh, reproductive rights, but a number of other individual rights, including uh, voting rights. We saw a case, uh, Carson versus Macon, which increases, will end up increasing the. Uh, flow of public funds to public education, uh, certain types of religious proselytizing in uh, public education settings, which is a consequence of another case. So, um, you know, even though many people, you know, they didn't get all of the results that they wanted in the midterm elections, some of the movement's uh, favored candidates won their, um, you know, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, won their elections, J.D. Vance, uh, others lost like Mastriano and um, Herschel Walker. But um, this is a movement that's not going away. It's um, it, it long preceded Donald Trump, frankly, and it will long outlast him.
0: You've written about this. Uh, you wrote an interesting piece uh, for The Guardian in June about how the Christian right took over the judiciary and, and changed America. You've also written on it for the New Republic, about how Christian nationalism perverted the judicial system and gutted our rights, as at least is according to you. But some people might say, well, Trump was elected as president um, and he appointed Supreme Court justices. Um, there was nothing illegal about this. It doesn't represent an existential threat to American democracy, does it?
1: Well, it's, what's really interesting is that the religious right has long recognized that many of their policies are broadly unpopular. So, for instance, abortion is a majority of Americans, a very clear majority identify as explicitly pro choice, and an additional number support abortion in a range of circumstances and support reproductive rights in a range of circumstances. So, the movement leaders that want to see a total ban on abortion from the moment of what they say conception, nobody knows when conception actually takes place, but this type of um, sort of mandate would actually ban many types of contraception. These are very broadly unpopular uh, policies, and they've noticed that they they recognize that if they can capture the courts, they can control the culture. So they invested for many decades in legal infrastructure and massive amounts of money have flowed through this infrastructure. Groups like the Federal Society, uh, Judicial Crisis Network, Um, groups like the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is one of the legal advocacy groups of the religious right, which now has an annual budget of $103 million a year. I mean, we're talking massive budgets, all of which are um, intended to shape the courts, bring the right cases to the right courts to create these novel legal structures that can lead to Supreme Court wins that will get them the results that they want. And there really isn't anything uh, notable on the other side. Look, voting rights, for instance, um, it's hard, horrible to say, but it's frankly on the chopping block, given the way the uh, Supreme Court is is taking certain new uh, cases that would sort of diminish uh, voting rights. Um, and, And voting rights are actually the foundation of our democracy. We don't have a democracy without voting rights.
0: Let's talk a little bit about what you call religious nationalism. Historically, American nationalists were very suspicious of Catholics. In fact, uh, the KKK was founded on hostility, obviously, to African-Americans, but also principally to Jews and Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, being a Catholic means in some ways being suspicious of nationalism, given your allegiance to Rome. Are you suggesting that the new Catholicism of the Supreme Court and its hostility obviously to abortion. Is that a new form of American nationalism? Uh, Are there some people on the right who are actually suspicious of American Catholicism still?
1: Well, let's take a step back and talk about what Christian nationalism is and what it's not. It's not a religion. It's not limited to any particular denomination. It's really a political phenomenon that involves the exploitation of religion for political purposes. So I think of it as combining two things. On the one hand, it's a set of ideas, it's an ideology. On the other hand, it's a political movement, an organized quest for power. Um, As an ideology, its adherents basically say the idea uh, was found as a Christian nation, uh, referring to a very narrow and reactionary understanding of Christianity and all of its cultural implications. But that ideology is really just a tool—a very useful tool, for instance, for um, a leadership-driven political machine that turns that story into political power. And um, you know, the movement for has—you know—it it, it works across denominations. It includes many evangelicals, although it excludes many evangelicals too. It includes um, a cohort of uh, ultra-conservative Catholics. Um, there's a, a large sort of, I would say, um, uh, number of the movement leaders, especially in the legal sphere that are themselves conservative Catholics. But the movement also draws support from people who, um, and, and of course, it brings in uh, right-wing Pentecostals and neo-charismatics. Um, it draws support from people who don't I- identify as Christian at all. I think about Bar Side; He's a Jewish billionaire from Chicago who donated $1.6 billion to form something called the Marble Freedom Trust. And he put put Leonard Leo, who is the head of the Federal Society in charge- Yeah,
0: you and I have talked, we've talked about Leonard Leo before, but are you suggesting then that, say, the Catholics on the Supreme Court, um, who have tilted the court, are they consciously doing this? Um, Do they still believe that they're Catholics? Or is that a front for their own in your view, at least, uh, right-wing extremism?
1: You know, people often ask me, are people truly believers or are they just doing what's in their own interests? And I frankly think that, look, we can't know what's in people's hearts, but both of those things can be true. It's clear to me that many of the movement leaders and the people who are lending support to the movement truly believe what they are saying, and many of them truly believe that they're doing God's will. but they also the fact that it's in their own career interests, or financial interests, or political interests, uh, is also the tr- is also the case. So both things can be true at the same time.
0: You wrote an interesting piece also in the Times about uh, in July of this year, July fifth, appropriately enough, the day after Independence Day, about why Christian nationalists in the United States are excited about what comes next. Has 2022 being a good year for Christian nationalists? It seems as if in some ways they're on the retreat, particularly given Donald Trump's various legal and other problems.
1: Courts matter, justices really matter. It's been a great year for them in terms of the court wins. Now in terms of the elections, it's been a mixed picture. They thought they were going to just dominate like crazy in the uh, midterm elections, and that just didn't happen, but they didn't suffer uh, terrible losses either. Again, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene handily won her election. But if you look at people like, say, Ron DeSantis, you know, you know, Trump has sort of taken a beating in public opinion, I believe, although he does remain a very important leader, and it's not clear who is going to be the front runner. It's not, frankly, clear what's going to happen to him. But, you know, Ron DeSantis is, is, is there waiting in the wings. And we have to note that somebody like Ron DeSantis and his handlers believe that Christian nationalism is the road to power in the Republican Party, the day before the election, which he won handily, he released an ad. I don't know if you've seen it, or if you haven't, you should watch. No, it. I haven't seen it. Oh my gosh, you've got to see this! It's um, like Google it as soon as we get off. This is that?
0: Oh, is that the one where he talks about God, God.
1: on the eighth day? God. Yeah, truth. yeah, I have
0: seen it. It's, I, I actually thought it was rather good. It, I can't vote in America, but uh, I thought he did a good job. Not that I probably believe in God. But if yeah. I did believe in God, I might yeah. be convinced. God anointed Ron DeSantis. Yeah, but, uh, but 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 uh, but Catherine, in all seriousness, that was a good ad. I mean,
1: it's a disturbing it, ad. It, totally is bad. DeSantis can, just whether it's got, a, a conservative? conservative. It's, not, it's not. Have you watched it? It's I have called, watched it. But is
0: that radically different from I'm the kind the, of ads that Reagan or Nixon or even yes. Bush would put together?
1: Absolutely. I've never seen an ad by another Republican politician, perhaps with the ex- uh, exception of the, you know, before the Trump era, or maybe small exception, but a political leader of this stature who said, on the eighth day, God created a fighter to save America and God anointed, you know, uh, Ron DeSantis. This is actually kind of,
0: um, uh, it's true. Wasn't it sort of metaphorical? Or do you think that DeSantis is arguing that on the eighth day, God began to think about Rhonda Santis.
1: You know what I think? I think that there has been in American politics, a kind of normalization of explicitly theocratic language. If you're hearing, I'm going Mm. to ask you a question. Are you hearing more often uh, in our politics that America is engaged in a spiritual battle that, um, you know, you know, People on the wrong side of the political aisle, which is the sort of uh, democratic side of the political aisle, are controlled by Satan and satanic forces. And people who are Republican are fighting spiritual warfare and the consequences are too dire to ignore. I mean, you're hearing it because it's true. And it's um, this type of language has been normalized in our politics. And frankly, I think it's very disturbing when I started reporting on this movement 15 years ago, this kind of explicitly theocratic language was um, often sidelined within the Republican party. Leading politicians might sort of throw at supporters a support like a kind of a wink and a nod. Um, I remember when uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, I mean, I wasn't there obviously, but he said to a group of uh, pastors um, in 1980, um, in 1980, 1981 at the reunion arena in, in, in Dallas, Texas, he was speaking to a group of pastors and he said, I can't endorse you, but no, I, you, I know you can't endorse me, but I endorse you uh, and what you're doing. And and the crowd went wild because he had just signaled to them that he was on board with what they wanted. But that wasn't saying God created me as a fighter to save our nation and we're engaged in a spiritual battle. I mean, the language was much softer. And I think we have to step back a little bit and recognize what's happened to the Republican Party in the last kinds of 15 years. This is a part that has made room for kinds of, um, frankly, theocratic language, domestic expre- extremism, hate and conspiracism. And those who advocate for that type of conspiracism and hate now represent, frankly, a very, very large part of the Republican Party.
0: Um, yeah, it's, it's we, we've done a number of shows, actually, on, on this rightward shift within the Republican Party. And I wonder how it's affected the Democrats. You, you had an interesting piece in The New Republic uh, from Maine this year, talking about why the Democratic Party is shedding Latino votes. Um, Thomas Frank had an interesting piece in this morning's Times, I think, about how the Democratic Party needs to also change. How is How are the Dems dealing with this? Do they need to make themselves more open, if not to religious nationalism, certainly to um, the spiritual needs of some American voters?
1: Well, those are two separate points I'd like to address. The first is um, religious nationalism is explicitly anti-democratic. It's a rejection of the values of pluralism and equality that represent the best of American promise. It's like, um, but one thing that uh, democratic uh, strategists have failed to do is reach out and do faith outreach at times when they really needed to. One of the reasons that the Democratic Party has been shedding Latino voters um, is because there is a tremendous amount of effort to do faith outreach among, in, in, the, in the Republican Party. Um, a lot of, um, uh, so I would say, conservative-leaning Latino churches or, or Latino churches where you had congregants who are conservative-leaning on certain types of um, issues, in particular issues around family identity or things like uh, abortion rights or, or same-sex marriage and things like that. Well, the Republican Party saw opportunity in doing that types of outreach. And when I was at the last Road to Majority Conference, it was um, an initiative of Ralph Reed's Faith and Freedom Coalition. It's one of the leading. He's one of the movement's most, I would say, astute and seasoned strategists. You had folks there talking about like, you know, one of the folks there, a woman named Nelson Alvarez said every area that we went after she was talking about Latino outreach She said area every area we went out uh, after went majority red reaching out to Latino and Latino um, majority churches organizations like um, ministros hispanos del sur de la florida that's like this sort of pastors network in south florida targeting Latino and Hispanic pastors they draw them into these networks. They get them involved, and their congregants involved in kind of right-leaning, like religious right organizations. And they've worked with um, Ralph Reed's Faith and Freedom Coalition. So they've seen the opportunity, and um, and that they've been sort of working on that for some time. And we're seeing the consequences in our politics today. In 2020, I believe there was an eight to ten point shift among Latino voters toward the Republican Party. And in the midterm elections, you also saw a shift, and the shift was very pronounced in certain areas. Um, You also have investment in uh, Latino-focused media. Um, I don't have the names of the radio networks or TV networks in front of me, but um, there's been investment in sort of um, um, media that targets Latino uh, Americans uh, that kind of makes news that they, need and you know often spanish language with a kind of more right-leaning perspective and it's designed to kind of shift um the those political allegiances so that's been a real lost opportunity and then you you asked about another issue and you're gonna to have to remind me of what it is i'm so sorry
0: well the the need for the democratic party to incorporate this into their movement. I don't expect Joe Biden will come up with an ad suggesting that on the eighth day, God created Joe Biden. Uh, but but do the Democrats need to incorporate a degree of religiosity, even if it's not hatred and power the worship D- into Democrats, their party?
1: They already do. It's really amazing that there's some sort of myth that uh, Democrats are godless and you know, don't uh, talk about religion. And if you actually listen to Joe Biden speak and many other uh, democratic he's leaders- He's a
0: Catholic, talk, of course, Biden.
1: talk about their faith all the time. It's just that you have on the right, this sort of, you know, blaring message all the time. They're godless, they're satanic, they're pedophiles. And, um, you know, they're also, um, you don't have the sort of networks like Watchmen on the Wall and Faith Wins and Mistros Hispanos and Church United. Doing the kind of um, networking among um, uh, and the kind of frankly par- partisan political activism on the left that you do on the right, and and when I say left, I mean moderate liberal, you know, uh, progressive, very broadly speaking. On the right, you have these networks that draw pastors in and get them engaged in sort of frankly partisan politics. Because the movement leaders know, if you can get the pastors, you can get a certain number of their congregants, and if you can turn out the you know people in churches to vote in large numbers, it's a way to sort of one of the ways you can help you dominate in election cycles. Look in a country where 40 to 50 percent of people don't turn out to vote, and an additional number have their events uh, votes essentially stolen from them through gerrymandering, voter suppression tactics, and the like. You don't need majorities to dominate in election cycles, all you need is a disproportionately organized minority. So there's a lot of organization through faith groups and and churches. Now on the left, there's a little bit of that too, through groups like Souls to the Polls. It's uh, been a very um, uh, sort of, um, I think, um, successful initiative in some of the places where that's worked, but it's not the same on the same scale as, as uh, the kind of organizing through faith groups on the right.
0: Catherine, if it's not political, what about generational? We did a show with Kyle Spencer. I'm sure you're
1: oh, familiar yeah. with
0: her new book, Raising Them Right, the untold story of America's ultra conservative youth movement and its plot for power. To what extent is 2022 being the story of how the religious right now is focused on younger people in America, particularly uh, with their college strategy?
1: It, it the religious right is very much focused on the young. Um, my previous book, The Good News Club, um, was really all about targeting uh, youth. I heard went to conferences uh, where children w- were described as strategic machinery and the most fruitful uh, you know, mission targets. Um, I remember Matt Staver. He's the head of Liberty Council founder and uh, former president. And he said, if you want to change the um, culture, maybe he's still the president. He said, you need to go after those children age five to four, uh, sorry, four to 14 or five to 12 or something. He said, that is the most strategic age group that we have. So they know that like, when children are younger, that's when they're more likely to form their of political identity and also their religious identity and he said you know focus on them leave them at that stage rather than later when it's in the they call the repair stage so um that's one of the reasons why the religious right is so intent on dismantling public education that public schools are where children uh learn how to get along with others including those who are different they're explicitly diverse um so they want to You know, and and they promote tolerance of, uh, you know, no particular religious viewpoint is supposed to be promoted or denigrated in a public school. They're supposed to be comfortable for all families. And that seems to be very threatening to this movement. So they want to dismantle public schools, partly for ideological reasons and also partly for financial reasons, for money reasons. They want to capture, they want a lot of that money to be taxpayer money to be diverted to religious schools that are free to discriminate um, and teach various forms of intolerance if they they want. And um, so that's one of the reasons the movement is going so hard after public education.
0: Catherine, 2022 has been a year of various kinds of sexual, political, financial scandals associated with one kind of right-wing religious church or another. Is that just par for the course? Or is this actually weakening a religious nationalism, your power worshippers in the long run?
1: Uh, It's a really good question. It's hard to know. I mean, I do just anecdotally come across large numbers of people who say that they have left their faith community because of those types of scandals.
0: Is there one in particular that's had a, uh, a destructive, if that's the right word, impact that's really resonated with Genuinely religious people.
1: I think that if you talk to religious people across the board, um, you'll hear a lot of different stories. Um, Frankly, I I think the um, scandals within the Catholic Church have been devastating for a lot of American Catholics who see this as a complete violation of their faith.
0: We've talked about abortion you've noted in in your work that uh, you even had an interesting piece in New York Times about how Catholic hospitals are willing to gamble with your life um, and how the Christian right took over the judiciary and changed America um, given that Roe versus Wade has been changed or undermined um, I mean I guess the battles will continue in the court what is the what is the agenda of the religious Right, of religious nationalists in 2023. What do you expect the major stories to be? What are they focused on? As you've argued, I think very importantly in your work, these people are very strategic. They focus on power and on seizing power. What's on their agenda for the next year?
1: We can look at what's on the court docket for one. I mean, they're hearing this case where there's some lady who nobody ever asked her to write a, a wedding Um, to do like a work on a same-sex wedding, but she's claiming that even the idea that someone might ask her to work on a same-sex wedding is a violation of her so-called religious liberty. And, um, you know, when people think about weddings, it's all like, well, if you can't get your cake from the baker down the street because they don't like same-sex weddings, just go, you know, get your cake from another baker across town. It all seems so harmless, doesn't it? In a funny way, or or non-consequential. It's like not gonna... But this is not just about cakes. It's about essential government services. It's about um, public housing. It's about access to, um, you know, uh, job opportunities. It's about access, frankly, to um, equal pay. Think about it. If, if a company says, "Well, it's not in our," um, you know, it's a violation of our religious right to to offer equal pay or e- equal opportunity to people who. Um, are not members of our faith, or perhaps to people who are, are female or people of color or any other um, any other category, that's a violation of our religious rights. And what they're really trying to go after is a kind of um, right to disregard the law that the rest of us have to respect. Disregarding anti-discrimination laws, um, and, uh, and having a right to, um, in many instances, also like, you know, taxpayer funding for different religious organizations. We've seen this in a in number of other Supreme Court cases. They want religious organizations want the right to taxpayer funding, regardless of their um, uh, predilection for discrimination.
0: Catherine, finally, I'm guessing you and I are on the same political page, and I'm guessing most of the keen on audience are not great fans of the power worshippers, don't really believe that on the eighth day God created Ron DeSantis or anyone else uh, within the Republican Party. What's the best way for people who are not power worshippers, who are not on the religious right, to confront this in 2023? Is it politically? Is it focusing on the courts Uh, or other ways to challenge this very... chilling development i think in american politics there are so many
1: avenues for engagement thank you for asking i mean there are things we can do individually and there are things we can do when we join together on the individual level there is no substitute for the power of the vote um uh, elections have consequences they have consequences in our courts and um it's really important to vote not just uh, in national cycles but also state elections uh, local elections, it's really important to educate yourself about the candidates and, um, and to um, uh, articulate your values at the ballot box. And it's also really important to motivate others to vote. And whether it's, you know, one thing the religious right does really well is make people understand the value of the vote. It was, um, it was a uh, Ralph Reed who said, pay no attention to the polls, our numbers are shrinking. All that matters is who turns out on election day, and he is right. So what they do is they make people understand no matter how old they are, no matter how young they are, whether they're disabled, whatever whatever's going on with them, their vote matters. And I think those of us who reject this agenda and reject the values of conquest and division that this movement represents, really need to not just to vote ourselves, but get our circles to vote. And perhaps if you can, volunteer to turn out the vote in any way that you can There, are, there are a lot of different organizations uh, to connect with um, and the things we can do when we join together with others include working on initiatives that are defending voting rights uh initiatives that are uh, helping to educate others about the issues that are at state in local elections um that are at stake in in our elections i think it's really important to remember that a lot of politics is local The sort of anti-CRT frenzy that the uh, right is sort of pushing these days is an effort, very successful, by the way, to get a new generation of folks involved in local politics. So it's really important to, you know, if you can, um, volunteer for your school board or get involved in in your local politics in some way or or help someone who is, whose um, message you support and whose values you support. Um, There are various civil rights organizations, rights of um, uh, various organizations that are working for um, to affirm our democratic institutions rather than tear them down. So there are no shortage of avenues for engagement. The important thing is just to to find your lane and to go with it.